We here in this space are going to dig into God's word uh, using the prophet Ezekiel chapter 37. If you have your Bibles, I hope that you'll turn with me there. Uh, we are establishing that the, uh, the annual theme for covenant is going to be revive. Revive 2020, 2021. Uh, revive 20. Whoa, good Lord. Revive means that we're putting 2020 in the past and 2021 is here. And we are establishing that this is what God uh, is going to do in our midst. We're proclaiming it. We're praying over it. And we're looking forward to seeing what God's word has to say about it. Ezekiel 37 is the story of the Valley of the Dry Bones. Uh, And uh, verse 3 and verse 14 combine together for a question and an answer uh, that is uh, our, our annual theme. Can these bones live? Can they? Can these bones live? The Word of God says, I will put my spirit in you and you will live. This is what we're about this year. And so we're going to dig into Ezekiel uh, together, chapter 37. Uh, Let's hear together the word of the Lord. The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them. And I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, son of man, can these bones live? I said, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you, and and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you, and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound of the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them. But there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, God said to Ezekiel, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come, breathe from the four, uh, from the four winds, and breath uh, came into these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded, and, and, and breath entered them, and they came to life and stood up on their feet a vast army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say our bones are dried up, our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, This is what the sovereign Lord says, My people, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you and you will live and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done it, declares the Lord. This is the word of God for the people of God offered to us in its reading and in its hearing. So we give thanks, Lord God Almighty. Would you bow with me for a word of prayer? Gracious God, what a gift it is to be able to 
come together in this space and time, I ask, oh God, that you would work here in this room in this time. And I ask, oh God, that you would open our eyes that we would see, open our ears that we would hear, open our minds that would come to know and understand, open our hearts that we would feel its power. Then I ask, oh God, that you would open our hands that we would offer grace to the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So my wife Lauren and I, for some three or four years, were, uh, were a foster home. Uh, and we had uh, three kids that we fostered for an extended period of time. Uh, Samuel James is a product of that foster and now adopted our son, uh, and, and that season was, was such a gift, uh, but there are also many challenges. I don't know how much you know about the foster care licensing system, but uh, it's pretty intense. They come into your home uh, multiple uh, times a month, uh, different groups, and they have to license your home. They make sure that you have the ladder uh, to get out the window. If there's a fire, you have fire extinguishers that are kept up to date and checked, and, and you have a fire plan posted for evacuation so that your kids can know how to get out of the house, and all of your medicine is locked in uh, a lockbox, uh, and, and there's nothing out uh, and, and open. I mean, that plus much more, just like all of everyone else's houses. I mean, just exactly, right? We had none of that before the, the, the process, but, but we went through the process, uh, and, and there are so many like kind of highlights of, okay, uh, will I actually remember this? Uh, continue to be a theme. We're learning so much. Am I going to retain it all? Well, we, we had to be uh, first aid CPR certified. And uh, we went through that training a couple of times because you have to renew it over the course of, uh, of time and its expiration. And, and both times that we went through it, I, I got to admit, I don't think I remember much from it. Like if you, if you, if you have an issue, I'm not your guy. Uh, I will trust that the Lord is going to provide a doctor or a nurse practitioner in the room to be able to take care of you. But, but I, I, here are the things that I remember. Three things. You ready? Number one, whenever you assess that the situation requires uh, your training, you say, you call 911. Right? You have to point, eye contact, direct, and make sure they know. Everyone in the room knows. It's Kevin. Kevin is the one. No, you. Call 911, right? So every, that's number one. I remember that because it was quite awkward, and they make you practice it. You role play it over and over again. So there's my role play for the day. Uh, number two, I, I remember that whenever you start the CPR, there's something you're supposed to do with your fingers and locking them and somehow. So I've already failed. I will kill you if I do that wrong. Then... But I remember the, the beats, the rhythm. If you've been through it, you know, because they, it's a miracle of the Lord. It's staying alive, staying alive, uh, 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 staying alive. I mean, now, who can forget that? Like, now all of you are officially as CPR certified as I am. You could do it. This is it. Number three that I remember is the defibrillator scares the ever-loving Jesus out of me. It, it, it is, you know what a defibrillator is, right? It, it used to be the ER hospital thing. 
right? Where, where uh, like, the, the emergency room, they have a patient that goes in, beep, 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 beep. Oh, no, he's coded. Ah, give me the paddles. Pump it to 95 joules of blah, blah, blah. Right? The nurse practitioner over there is dying right now. Uh, but but that, 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 it used to be the thing for the ER. And, and I've been there as a pastor. I've been in an emergency room when members of my church have received the, the paddles. And I, I know whenever I'm doing CPR certification training that that lady is teaching me to put like a sticky thing here and a sticky thing here and then step back and then push the button like that I am not qualified for that. That is an emergency room hospital thing, not me. But if you need it, I'll be there for you. Don't worry. My certification only expired four years ago. Those defibrillators are now designed so that buildings pretty much anywhere are going to have them, and they can bring you back to life. I mean, even, even in those most dire circumstances where, where, where there is no more beep on the monitor and it is flat, they could shock you back to life. Ezekiel is a prophet of the Lord. And uh, this scripture opens up Chapter 37, saying the hand of the Lord was on him and revealed to him, brought him to a, a specific circumstance to teach him a specific lesson that he would then declare to the people of God, to us. Generations later, we would have this message today. And so it's really important. Now, now if, you, if you want like, like a real upper, like something that's going to give you a lot of, a lot of joy, Read Ezekiel chapter 1 through chapter 32. It is the most depressing uh, portion of literature that you'll ever read. Uh, Ezekiel uh, is, is the prophet of God in the season uh, where they are conquered and exiled from their land into Babylon. So, so we, we, we read from prophetic literature that, that happens all uh, in the back end of that Babylonian exile, or uh, as they are returning, we hear of prophetic uh, works as they're reestablishing what it means to be the people of God. Ezekiel is the prophet that, that bridges that exile. And those first 32 chapters are dark. It, it declares all of the ways the people of God have turned their backs on God and walked away from God. All of their sins, their, their, their depravity, it's listed in explicit fashion, and their penalty, establishing that what they're going through is because of their sin and brokenness. But then, but then, when you get to chapter 33 and following, we have oracles of restoration. Ezekiel, the prophet, is, is given a series of visions and oracles that God places him in or places in him so that he could declare 
that that darkness does not have the final say. So that he could declare affirmatively that even though they have experienced exile and despair, there is yet hope. Revival is on the horizon. And so that's why when we get to chapter 37, uh, we could feel uh, the weight of all that has come forward in the scene that that God places Ezekiel in. Now, I want you to to imagine this vision uh, maybe in in a way that that we can connect with more easily as Christians who are really familiar with Jesus' teaching in the Gospels. He teaches oftentimes in the Gospels through parables. Right? He tells a story, and that story gives a, a lesson, a truth that we can then uh, claim and, and grow from. All right? So I want you to think of this vision as a parable. Now, sometimes Jesus explains the parables, and sometimes he just leaves it hanging. Sometimes it's just like mic drop, walk away, and you got to figure it out. Sometimes he's like, hey, this is what it's about. You might remember the parable of the sower where, where uh, Jesus says that there's a sower that sows seed and all of these different kinds of ground and it reacts different ways. But then he goes back and explains what it means. This vision in Ezekiel is like that where there's a vision and there's an explanation. Verse 11 is the beginning of the explanation. But I want to start with the vision. The vision uh, it describes a scene uh, using three words that, uh, that, that very quickly break down for us uh, what it is we're to, to, to be assessing the situation as. Ezekiel is taken by the hand of the Lord and placed in a valley of dry bones. A valley of dry bones. So the first word, valley, we need to, 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 to rest there and understand what this means. Now, now this is uh, the two Sundays after Christmas Eve, so we might be thinking in terms of John the Baptist that he was called to prepare the way for the Lord, that he's going to, uh, to raise valleys and bring mountains low so that the Lord's word can come on uh, a plain and flat ground. Uh, but, but I want us to step aside from that a second and think about biblical valleys and the scene that might be portrayed accurately for what Ezekiel uh, is seeing. There's one valley in particular over the course of Scripture that is the most commonly referred to valley. It's the Jezreel Valley. The Jezreel Valley uh, sits in a broad, vast, fertile land. And and it's in between the Mediterranean and the Sea of Galilee. And and there's a mountain ridge uh, on the south and the east and the west side. And there's one hill in particular, one mountain in particular called Megiddo. And Megiddo is where uh, there's a pinch point. So if you're traveling from north to south as an international trader, you would have to go by Megiddo and uh, through the Jezreel Valley to head uh, in intercontinental travel. This valley, the Jezreel Valley, is lush and beautiful. If you sit up top in Megiddo today, you look down on the valley and there are crops Everywhere, And you could tell that this soil is so masterfully uh, uh, crafted by God to provide rich agriculture to the whole region around it. But as with many valleys in scripture, there is threat in the valley. This valley, the Jezreel Valley, 
has been the host of countless wars, including a number of wars throughout Scripture. In, in fact, it, it extends even further than Scripture. In 1918, in the First World War, the Allies fought the Ottomans in the Jezreel Valley. There are so many wars fought in the Jezreel Valley that, that this is known as Armageddon. So when you hear Armageddon, Armageddon comes from two words, har, which means a mountain, Megiddon, which is the same word for Megiddo. And so this is the mountain of Megiddo, which overlooks the Jezreel Valley. So the final battle of Armageddon will take place in the Jezreel Valley. So I want you to envision this lush, vast land that is tortured with war at the end of a battle where bones are strewn all across this land. And, and, and they're, from, they're from folks from all sides. Generations of bones have been laid in the Jezreel Valley. And Armageddon is said to come there as well. And here you have Ezekiel taken by the hand of the Lord to a valley filled with dry bones. I want you to imagine that sort of a valley. That sort of a valley that hosts despair and destruction, vulnerability, and maybe even the shadow of darkness and death. Maybe this is the valley of which David spoke in Psalm 23. Of course, this passage of Scripture echoes for us, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall lack nothing. But when you get to verse 4, in the NIV it says, Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. But in the King James, which might echo for most of us, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. That's a dark place. That's the kind of place that the Lord revealed to Ezekiel. It's a valley filled with dry bones. I think it's fascinating that this word dry comes into play here. It's not just that it's a valley of death or a valley of destruction, but it's bones. And it's not just any bones, it's dry bones. And it's not just dry bones, it's in verse 2, on the floor of the valley there were many bones, bones that were very dry. This is a, this is a valley that has hosted death but the death is not just recent, it's not just new, it's a death that has taken place over the course of many years. Have you been on a hike before, and, and you've been in some Texas wilderness, and you've found uh, the, the, the prey of some, uh, some predator, some lion, or, or some coyote, and there you find the, the jawbone or the, or the leg bone, and, and, and you could look at it, and you could tell, is this more fresh? If so, beware. Be distant, be cautious, right? Or is it very dry? Is it cracked? Is it maybe a bit chalky? Is, it, is the bone itself beginning to deteriorate? 
If it is, then, then you know that, that this is a place that has, that has known death and that death has set in, in a really substantial way. That, that there's hopelessness associated with this very dry bone. The psalmist David writes about this dryness in another way. And I think Ezekiel, as he stood in that valley with the Lord, might have heard the words of David in his ears as he could relate to this dryness. Verse 1 of Psalm 63 says it this way, You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. That, that yearning for God. And yet it seeming as though God is so hard to find because of how dry the setting is. I want you to think about a time in your life when you were most thirsty. Maybe you're a little bit more thirsty right now than you were a moment ago. What is that moment when you were most dry, most thirsty? For me, it was this year, literally speaking, uh, whenever our family took uh, a hike uh, to the Zebra Slot Canyon, in, which is just north of Bryce National uh, Park in Utah. So we, we are on this mad adventure, and every day our family is doing something like outdoor crazy. You know how Amazon Fire Stick has like the floating screen with all like the really amazing pictures of, of like world uh, landmarks or scenes. And you look at those pictures and you're like, man, where is that? I want to go there. Or where is that? I want to go there. Well, we basically did all of those in the United States of America this summer. That was, that was our trip. And we wanted to see all of them. One of those on that, uh, on that Amazon Prime Stick uh, is the Zebra Slot Canyon. So, of course, you Google it. What is that thing? I want to go there. And uh, you get some instructions, and it tells you all about it, right? It's just that easy. See, it tells you go north on this highway, and then you go east on this dirt road for about eight miles. Then you park just past the cattle guard on the right, and then you hike in about a mile. You see the zebra slot canyon, and you hike out. That simple. Thus saith Google. Right, and so and so our family, you know, it's it's July, uh, it's Utah, it's 103.5, but it's a dry heat, so don't worry. Uh, and and we we have done, I have done my research, and my family just trusted that I did my research well. And uh, so I tell the family, family, for all of these other hikes where we have hiked vast number of miles, we have needed all this water, but today. Today, we don't need nearly as much water. So just pack what's most comfortable, the easiest. Maybe your camelback, but don't bring extra bottles. It would just be a waste of time and energy. So after hiking three and a half or four miles in the desert wilderness, 
arriving at the Zebra Slot Canyon, we see it. And it is magnificent. It was everything we hoped for and more. Uh, very few of us could actually see it, though, because it was so narrow. You had to, like, monkey climb the wall in order to get in it. We're in it. Great pictures. Memories made. Awesome. Come out. Sit underneath the only tree that we could find in the entire valley. And we're eating lunch, and I take an assessment of the water, as a good father would do. And I find my daughter's camelback. Nothing empty. Bone dry. I get uh, my son Sam's camelback. Empty. Bone dry. My dad, who's with us, he has exactly half of his water left. Because when you hike in, you only drink half so that you have the same amount for the way out. Man, that's a professional. Then, uh, then I look at all the water bottles that the kids that were with us brought. They're all empty. All that's left is half of my camelback and half of my dad's water. That's it. And there are eight of us. To hike at 103.5 degree heat on the way back out, three and a half to four miles. And so about mm, maybe quarter of a mile on the way back out, I can see that this is going to end with death and destruction. No, seriously, this is not going to be good. They're going to find us in the middle of the desert, uh, and it, all that's going to be left is bones because we're that dry. So I tell Aiden and the bigs, Addie and their friends, I say, hey, look, y'all go on, uh, you know, whatever, you'll live, right? Here are the keys of the car. I need y'all to go back. And then what I need you to do is, Aiden, I'm sorry, it's you. You're going to have to get the extra water, and you're going to bring it back to me, Lauren, and Sam, and my dad, my 70-year-old dad who's hiking with us. And, and you're going to bring this water. So we gave them my camel back. We gave them my dad's water. We had no water left, and we sent the kids back to the van. And Aiden got back, grabbed the extra water, ran back to us, and, uh, and we were still about two miles uh, back to, to us, and I thought that I had killed my wife Lauren and my seven-year-old Sam because they, I mean, we were stopping every 50 steps. We were, uh, we, we were trying to find shade wherever we could. I was like standing over them so that the shade could drop down on them. That was the most dry, thirsty situation I have ever been in in my life. What's that situation for you? The psalmist writes, I thirst for you, my God, like I'm in a dry and parched land where there is no water. Ezekiel is set in a valley of dry bones and the word of God says those bones are very dry. And God in verse 3 has a question for you and for me. Can these bones live? Is there any hope for these bones? This situation is as bleak and desperate as you can imagine. Is there 
hope. Ezekiel, I think wisely, and we could take a a cue from him wisely, he says, uh, you know, I don't know. I look at the situation, I, I don't know. But, but with you, all things are possible, so you know. So God gives instructions. God says, hey, you're going you're gonna to be my voice. Whenever, whenever you speak, I'm speaking. Tell these bones to hear my word. And my word is going to just pour out over them and, 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 and say, come together. And these bones are going to start coming together. And that's where we get the bones rattling, right? So all the bones are like coming back together. And you imagine that people have been walking on these bones, kicking these bones. And these bones are all scattered all over the place. And now like they're all forming and shaking up and rattling. And boom, now, now that they're together and, and they're getting uh, 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 ligaments and sinews and tissue and, and, and flesh and skin. And you have all of these all these bodies laid there and 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 you hear that and that's exciting in and of itself that dry bones have now come back together and it seems like maybe there's a glimmer of hope but it is yet still incomplete something more has to happen for life to to happen and so god gets excited god god's like man hey do you see this do you see what's going on but there is still not life in them because there's not breath in them verse 9 did y'all, or verse 10, did you hear how excited God got? Then God said to Ezekiel, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come, breath from the four winds, breathe into these slain that they may live. We need the breath of God to come into us to take our hopeless, desperate, dark situations and make us come to life so that, so that we can walk with the Lord, so that we are no longer dry. But as, 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 as Jesus says, now I'm like a, a, an eternal spring of water flowing in you that you will never thirst again. This is the Spirit of God come into you and me. And that's what the explanation of this parable of this vision looks like in verse 11 and following. There's this beautiful clarity that comes in verse 11 that, that, that I don't want us to miss. It, it's this explanation from God. God then says to Ezekiel, son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. And they say, the people of Israel say, our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. You know, before that moment, what we have is God's assessment of the situation and Ezekiel's assessment of the situation. But what we hear in the explanation is a clear self-awareness from the bones. The bones themselves are clear about where they are are in relationship to God. They declare that they're dry, their hope is gone, and they are cut off. What is it for us today, January 3rd, 2021, to take an honest assessment of where we are with the Lord? Are there any areas of your life that are dry today. 
in any way do you find yourself walking in a valley? When you assess your relationships, your employment, your finances, your walk with the Lord, your prayer life, your worship life, your Bible study life. When you evaluate your life of service or generosity, in any way do you find that you are like bones disjointed and disconnected? If there is, God provides a vision of hope for you and for me. God says, I'm not, I'm not going to leave you there. You're not just going to be bones left to the annals of history on the valley floor to dry up. No, no. What God says is, I I will put my spirit in you and you will live. If you have your Bibles, I want you to underline three things in verse 13 and 14. Then you, he says, he's saying this to you. God is saying this to you. If in any way you're dry, you're without hope, you're in a valley, you're, you feel like there's death or despair around you, here's what he says to you. Then you, my people, he's calling you his people. This is a word for his people. Then you, my people, will know I'm the Lord. I will open your graves. I'll bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you. The spirit of the living God is being put in you. And you will live. Can these bones live? Can these bones live? You, my people, will receive my spirit and you will live. On January 3rd, 2021, I need that. And if you need that, there is hope in the Lord. It's found in his word. It's found in relationship with one another here and community, and so I give God praise for what he's going to do in you and us together this year. Let's pray. Gracious God, what a tremendous gift it is to be able to gather together your people. I pray, oh God, that as, as we enter into this year, we would do so with, with, with great hope great expectation of what you are going to do in us and through us, what you are going to accomplish in our midst. I pray, O oh God, that you would pour out your Holy Spirit in us so that we would live. Lord, let us not be filled with hopelessness or despair, but let us be filled with your Spirit that brings life. Lord, revive us. Bring about a great revival in our midst, in our community, and in the world we know it is possible. We pray that, that you will accomplish it and that we will have a part in it. We pray this in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen.